Hi friends, it's Kayla Rannon. Welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. How's everybody doing today? Happy Thursday, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever day or time it is that you're listening. So happy to be back on the mic with you guys. I hope you're all having a good week. I cannot believe we're already in the second week of February. Also, happy International Networking Week. I just posted a TikTok about that and I'm releasing a free downloadable with my pitch template, basically how I reach out to people cold email, cold DMing them on LinkedIn when I'm looking to connect with someone and learn from them. And maybe I'm seeking a mentor, maybe I'm seeking a job opportunity. You know, this is what I've been using since I was in law school. And I finally found a way to give it to you guys in a pretty packaged formula with a couple additional networking tips. And I thought, what better week to do with an international networking week? I also, with networking, want to add to that the key to using this template is doing this frequently, doing this often. I like to say that in law school, I set aside about an hour a week to hang out on LinkedIn and chat with people, connect with people, message them, interact with their posts, read posts, look up businesses, see what they're doing. And that is how I was able to build the life and the career that I have built and also how this podcast really came to be. I was having all these really cool opportunities and I wanted to share them in a different way. So then the podcast was born. So it's kind of full circle and I just thought I would share that with you. So stay tuned. I'm releasing it on Friday and yeah, you're not going to want to miss it. If you are a law student or high school or college or grad school, like this is for you and it's even useful when you are already in your career and you're looking to level up or move companies or learn something new or pivot i think this is such a valuable tool and i'm glad i'm finally able to share it with you guys and part of being an influencer and being on social media and being a lawyer for influencers is the community and the network that i've built that's exactly how i got connected to darcy the guest this week And it's all because I was building a platform online. I was building community online and they reached out to me and were like, hey, do you want to come take a class at Jet Set Pilates, our downtown location? It's new. And I said, absolutely, because I've been really wanting to get into Pilates actually. And I loved it. And then I got to meet the owner of the studio. She's the franchisee owner of the Jet Set downtown studio here in Miami. And I'm so excited to chat with her because she's a doctor And there is so much information out there about med school and how to get to med school. And there's med school bloggers very similarly to how there is law school bloggers. And, you know, I love talking to them. So I thought, why not have a doctor on and get into the nitty gritty of what it's like to be a doctor and go to med school. And she's an anesthesiologist and how she chose that career field and also what led her to starting her own Pilates studio and being a franchisee member of Jet Set and I thought it's just such a fascinating story and I'm so excited to bring it to you guys before we dive in to the episode I just let's do a quick suck and sweet of the week and yeah so my suck of the week is that I've been feeling pretty overwhelmed lately you know with networking comes a lot of information right you're gaining information all the time you're constantly learning you're constantly taking in people's ideas and advice and that goes for consuming content and podcasts and all of that and with all of the incoming advice that I was getting I kind of it was a little hard to listen to myself right and listen to my gut and kind of filter it through my my gut and my lifestyle goals and see what was the right advice that I should listen to and what should I be implementing right now to level up my life my business my relationships etc and I've just been feeling a little bit like I'm underwater. There's just so much and I want to do so many things. I want to be everything at all times and that's just not possible. Like you can be everything, but you can't do it all at once, right? Especially as women when we are tasked with being caretakers and, you know, leaders and strong and business women and also be mothers and just take care of the family and take care of the house and cook and clean and take care of the dogs and dishes and laundry and like it can be a lot it can be very overwhelming at times to be a woman I was just saying this yesterday like we are superheroes truly and something that Darcy and I have talked about a lot actually I don't know if we touched on this episode but definitely offline we've talked about you know how hormones and that plays a huge role in the way that we operate in our lives and the way that we you know conduct ourselves and 
our emotions play a big role too. And that's why, you know, I'm so glad that I am a sacral authority and my gut, my intuition, like truly helps me filter things out. But when there's so much noise going on, it's a little bit hard sometimes to use that filter. And so I'm really looking forward to next week, just taking some time off and, you know, letting myself actually reset and process everything and filter it out and I think it's necessary to take that break and you know I got sick at the end of last month and you know I jumped right in and it was really busy and then I got sick and I had to slow down and then I eased back in and that's kind of like very similarly like I've just been very on for the last few days and for the rest of this week I'm just going to be on like I have a lot of meetings a lot of calls a lot of things going on and I love it and I generally am so grateful for the opportunities but at least me, I'm the type of person that I need to take a step back and let myself process everything and work through things and take inventory of what's working and what's not and what I can do differently. And I just haven't had an opportunity to really do that with all the information that I'm gaining about how to grow my business, how to scale it and automating it, optimizing it and building the systems and processes and all of that. So I think the break comes at a much needed time and it's just kind of shitty feeling this way, but you know, it's, it's a lesson. It's something I'm going to learn from and I'm looking forward to doing the work to learn from it and, you know, implement new systems and processes in the future and building those and bringing on help to do so. So stay tuned for that. We'll talk more about this, but that's kind of what's going on this week. But my suite of the week is that the sunshine is out the weather is chill but really beautiful and the puppies are extra cuddly but no i'm kidding that's also a plus but just that i have such incredible opportunities to be a mentor and mentored by others and that because of my networking i do i do such an incredible job of it that i have some really empowering uplifting cool people in my life that i can go to for help and I've had some incredible conversations with attorneys and like law school directors and the opportunities that are coming my way like I could not have dreamed of this when I was in law school and even a year ago and just the platform that I've built for myself the community that I've built the business that I am building you know it's a privilege um I was I've been watching Breakpoint and you know at the U.S. Open you see the plaque that says pressure is a privilege and it is it's a privilege to have all of this pressure on you it means that i I care and i'm passionate about this and that it's meaningful to me because you know it's it's impacting me i'm not just doing this to do it and i truly care about what i'm doing and that that comes with a lot of privilege but also comes with a lot of you know pressure but I'm just so, so grateful for everything that I've built and everything that I'm working on. And I talk about this a lot, but I, th- I think getting, like being an entrepreneur is like getting an MBA in life. It's constantly a roller coaster. It's ups and downs. And, you know, I, I don't have anybody to answer to, just myself. But sometimes that can be a little bit scary of like, okay, what do I do today? Nobody's telling me what to do. And that's why it's so important to build a team, build a support system. And I'm so grateful that I have that now and I'm for, I'm fostering that and it's flourishing. And I have a lot of things that I want to do and a lot of things in the works and I'm constantly looking to level up and be better for myself and for my business. And I think that's a privilege too. And I'm just really excited to be able to share with all of you guys and to continue having these incredible conversations. So With that, I will get off my soapbox and let Darcy take it away. We have a really exciting conversation for you guys, again, all about how she decided to go into medicine, why the medical school route over like a PA or something else in the medical fields, how she chose anesthesiology, and then her journey into Pilates and fitness and growing a Pilates studio and what that's looked like and what's the future of Jet Set for her and I truly love Jet Set. I highly, highly, highly recommend checking it out. They are all over the world. There's a bunch of new locations. They are growing rapidly. Darcy's just one owner. There's several different franchise owners and there's also corporate studios. So definitely worth checking out if you're looking for a modern Pilates class that is tough. It's upbeat. It's fast paced. You're gonna sweat. 
but it's so worth it and you are going to be sweaty but happy at the end of the class and i hope you guys enjoy this episode if you liked it please leave a rating and a review please subscribe to the show share with a friend tag us as you're listening let me know who you want to see next what topics you want me to cover next and i hope you guys like this episode i'll talk to you next week meet darcy so darcy what's something people wouldn't know about you just from following you they wouldn't know that i'm a mom of two kids yeah That's a good one. I feel like there's so much I want to talk to you about with like your career and owning Jet Set and then also like motherhood and how that plays a role too. So I think that's a really good place to start. But you're an anesthesiologist Mm -hmm. as well as the owner of Jet Set Pilates, which is a franchise of a Pilates studio here in Miami. And I want to dive into why you decided to open a Pilates studio. But first, take me back to young Darcy, like why medicine? Like why the medical school route versus like PA versus like other different like routes that you could take? And how did you decide you want to be an anesthesiologist? So I actually went to college at University of Miami to be a marine scientist. So I was enrolled in their marine science program. Um, And with them, you have to be a double major. So I already had the marine science major. And then with it, I had a biology major. Um, And as time went on, I kind of began to realize that I loved the ocean and the idea of marine science, but I kind of maybe not so much wanted it as a career. Um, And I, I struggled for a couple of years at that point. So from about my partway through my sophomore year, all the way through senior year and through graduation, I didn't know um, where I wanted to go after college. I had a complete blank in front of me, which was pretty disconcerting having been someone who always had the next step in mind growing up. You know, you you go from elementary school, you know what you're doing next to middle school, to high school, to college. And to have that sort of undecided future at that point was was scary. In fact, at one point I thought it meant I was gonna die young because I couldn't picture what my future was. <laughs> but I I came to realize I did love the biology. And I also came to realize like within my friend group, I noticed that I was frequently the person that would give advice when someone wasn't feeling well, would kind of be the nurturer and kind of be that person within my circle. And so the idea to go to medical school was a little seed. And then I went to visit a boyfriend's family up in New York City. And they, I was super intimidated by them because I'm from a small town in the Midwest. And I remember sitting at the dinner table, meeting them for the first time. And the the mother asked, so what are you going to do after college? And I I just like, without even thinking about it, I said I was going to go to medical school because I think there was just, I just wanted to say something impressive. Yeah. (laughs) And so it kind of flew out of my mouth. But as all these things kind of coalesced in my subconscious, I kind of came to realize that they were actually like, that was a legitimate niche for me that would fit a lot of my interests, a lot of my skills, fit my character. But because I had been undecided in in college, I was worried about backing myself into a commitment because medical school is, is a big time commitment, effort commitment, money commitment. Um, So I made the decision to take time off and see if the medical field was something that I liked in theory or that I liked in reality. That's so good. That's smart that you took some time to really think about it. Cause it's like, I feel like a lot of people do that, you know, whether it's to a boyfriend or to a friend or to their parents, like they say what they think is like gonna make them look good, but they haven't really stopped to process it. And like, that's kind of what happened, but it, it's good that you were like, no, I'm going to actually sit with this for a second and see like, does this really feel right? And like, cause you, it had been a little seed, but you still didn't know. And I think that's at, so, at such a young age. Like, I hate that whole, like, you have to know what you're going to do with the rest of your life at 18 years old. Like you thought that and you thought you were going to die because you didn't like, that's a lot of pressure on an 18 year old. So it's good that you were like, okay, I'm 22. And like, I have my whole life ahead of me. Let me see if this is really what I want. Yeah. Yep. So I moved home and I uh, got a job as essentially like a custodian in an operating room at a hospital in my hometown. And I did that for a few months. I met a lot of doctors and nurses. I really enjoyed, you know, 
speaking with them, a lot of them were were really kind and and took a lot of time to kind of explain what their days were like and what they did. And I moved up to being a nursing assistant, which is a lot of hard work. It's changing bedpans, running to answer call lights, but but I loved it. I loved taking care of the people. I was on an orthopedic floor and I worked second shift. So I tended to take care of the little old ladies with broken hips at bedtime. So I would help them, you know, brush their teeth and put lotion on them. And, but, but it was, it felt good to, to be taking care of people. So that was encouraging. At that point, I, I started the application to medical school. I'm sure um, you could imagine it's a bit of a process with um, <clears throat> the essays and the tests that you have to take. And I already had the prerequisites, but I had to do all the other, other bits. Um, so while that process was going on, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C., which is where I wanted to be, ideally for medical school, because my boyfriend was there. And while everything was processing with my application, I worked again in a doctor's office this time um, and really did a lot more hands-on patient care. I was a medical assistant. So I drew blood, I took vital signs, I was their surgical scheduler, and everything I saw, I really loved. So it, it continued to, to encourage me. Um, partway through that year, I found out I got into Georgetown. So I just, you know, I finished up the year working and then that's when I started medical school. At the end of I, that second year. I I love your story so far because I like that you really got hands-on experience. I think I see it a lot more with law students specifically. I don't I know a lot of med students and like doctors, but I've never really like d- dove into it with them. But they're like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer because I want to make a lot of money. And it's like, have you ever worked in a legal office, whether it's legal aid, a public defender, a law firm, big or small? Have you ever done you've seen it? Do you know what that entails? So I like that while you were taking the time to really decide if this is what you wanted, you actually got real life experience and two very different types of experience, both as a nurse assistant and then as a medical assistant, which, you know, they're, they're, those are two really important careers within the medical fields. And I'm curious why you didn't choose one of those routes, whether it's to be a nurse or to be a medical assistant or like a PA or something. And you were like, nope, we're going full on medical school, knowing how daunting it is, like that process you're talking about and like the MCAT and all these things when you've already been out of school for a little while. Cause so many people, like I was one of those people, like if I don't go now, I'm not going to go back. And I knew that about myself. And like, it was the best decision I made at the time to go directly through. I don't, I don't think I would have done it. I, I know myself well enough to know I wouldn't have gone back. Some people do and do better because they took longer. So I'm curious, like how much growth happened for you on a personal level during that time working as well that helped you for medical school? I would say, you know, I'm I'm a fairly um, driven person. And to be completely honest, that's a it's a plus and a minus. It can be a flaw, definitely. Um, I'm probably not a great person to take direction from others and I, I tend to be the person who wants to be the sort of top tier of decision-making. Um, and so when I looked at the various roles that you could have in the medical field, I really pictured myself wanting to sort of be the the supervisor of, of the team and the plan. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I same thing. I worked as a paralegal and a law clerk and a legal assistant. I had done all those things and I was like, yeah, I don't want this. And then I also was like, I also don't want to be an associate for 10 years of my life. And then only at that point, be have the luxury of making partner because it's it's a fight. It's not easy. It's not just 10 years and you're going to get it. It's like you're, yeah. you're on a track and they're, they're watching you. And I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna go do this by myself. Like, I don't need any of this. Um, So I think that's really big. And also like that you moved in all of this and like you had a relationship and like you were growing up like as a person too so it's like a lot of thoughts and feelings going on but it's good that you knew yourself well enough to know like no this is like that's the the path I want to take that's what I want to do um and I mean you went to Georgetown which is an incredible school and DC is an awesome city um what was medical school like like what is it really like those first four years before you even like start your actual specialty I I would say medical school for me was probably my funnest, most true to like what myself is best time in my life. 
it, uh, first of all, Georgetown, the neighborhood is a great place to be. There's so much going on. It's very metropolitan. There's people from all over the world, which I really loved. The friends I made were probably the closest aligned to me. And like, I was able to become very close with the people in my medical school class because of that. Um, I'm also a little lucky in that studying. So you could hear different stories about medical school. Some people spend the entire time really hitting the books and it's very stressful for them. I tend not to have to stress too much with the studying half of things. So I, I never ended up getting overwhelmed from the academic side. I was initially very overwhelmed about the fact that I took two years off and that I wasn't going to be necessarily the same age as the rest of my classmates. I kind of pictured showing up and being at the, at that in your early twenties, two years is like a decade or something. Oh, like it felt like I was so much older than they were. Um, and I was just picturing like they wouldn't want to talk to me and, uh, you know, that I would be standing by myself, but there's a, there's a pretty mixed crowd in reality going into medical school. One of my friends, um, had had an entire career with a clothing line. Like she was an executive with a clothing line and then was, was just not feeling fulfilled. And she went back and she was in her early thirties when she started, um, in my class at Georgetown. No, same thing with law school. Like it, it is a pretty, pretty mixed crowd. And I feel, I see a lot of people worrying so much about being older and like having taken time off, but it's like, for some people that works and you need that life experience. And for others, you know, you just, you didn't have, you just didn't need it. And like, you just went straight through because you were fine. And for me, I think, I don't think I would have gone back had I not gone straight through. However, yeah, I'm similar to you in the sense of the academic part of law school wasn't the hardest part for me. It was the life part happening at the same time that I was in law school, those pivotal mm -hmm. first two, three years out of college growth that happens in your early 20s, that was happening at the same time I was in law school. So that is what made me struggle with the academic part, like the emotional side, health mm -hmm. stuff, like family stuff, just like growing up, like the growing pains yeah. happening at the same time. Like that was the biggest struggle for me. So I think because you were able to do it while just doing the application yeah. process and like living your life and working like that benefited you and like so I say like sometimes it's good for people but yeah I love Georgetown I've been there before the neighborhood it's it's beautiful I love DC a lot um but no I think yeah. that's really cool that you have a positive memory and experience of medical school because so many people don't and then it's like they discourage like did you did you ever come across that like doctors or like older residents who okay. are like I hated this. Like, don't go. Like, it's miserable. It's the worst four years. Like, don't do it. Like, don't do this to yourself. Cause like that happens a lot in the legal fields. Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely get that. Um, but it didn't, I think at that point I had done enough internal kind of evaluation and, and external research that I, I was at that point I was pretty committed to it. Yeah. So you probably could have said anything that was still going to do it. Yeah. That's how I was too. I, I definitely was that person for sure. I was like, no, I'm going to, I've been wanting to do this since I was a kid. Like for sure, I'm, of course I'm going to do this. Um, and you need to know that about yourself and you need to want it. And I think that's part of what I always talk about is like having a why, like, why are you doing this? And like, you knew that you liked helping people and that you wanted to be a decision maker in those rooms and you had the experience to back it up and prove that this is what you wanted to do. So you're like, no, like no matter what happens, like I can handle it. And knowing that about yourself and doing that self-reflection and evaluation is, is super important. What made you decide to do anesthesiology? Cause that's a lot more, I guess, like internal than like the bedside manner. I mean, you do need bedside manner for sure. And I want to talk about that, but like then what people think, I think people think anesthesiologists, like we've talked about this, like you're just putting people to sleep, but it actually is a lot more involved than that. So, you know, what made you want to go into that field, I guess? So there's, there's a couple of things about anesthesia. One, you, your, your patients are typically having one of the more stressful, scary moments in their life. They're, they're approaching surgery. Generally, it's a big unknown to them. Um, and so our role is 
and we have never met them before usually. Usually it's upon first meeting, you within five to 10 minutes have to make a bond with that person, reassure them, make sure they have faith in your abilities to take care of them while they're completely helpless and asleep and while they're being cut open. Um, So you do, bedside manner is actually pretty critical with an anesthesia, you know, provider. Um, And so I enjoy that part of it. I really enjoy meeting the patients. I enjoy chatting with them, figuring out my angle. How am I going to get them to relax? Is this one going to need a little humor? Is this one going to need like a a touch? Um, You know, there's just different ways that you, that you can comfort people and you only have five to 10 minutes to figure that person out. So that's, that's an, part I enjoy. And then the other part I really like, which goes back to that me liking to be in charge. When you're an anesthesiologist, you're essentially becoming in charge of that person's entire physiology. So you're deciding how they're going to be breathing. You're deciding the blood pressure, the heart rate, how warm they are. It, it It's actually a lot of control. And so that part of it appeals to me. Yeah. I don't think people really think too much of that when they think of anesthesiologists. Um, but I, I mean, I've been under twice in my life and I just remember like the first time I was 17 and like, I, well, actually both times, no, I was 18 for my wisdom teeth, but 17, I was a kid and like, that's a, yeah, it's scary. It's an, it was an elective surgery. Sure. But still like at the end of the day, that's still a really scary process. And he did a really good job of making me feel like I was, you know, in good hands and that he cared. And like the humor and like the getting me to talk. So I'm distracted from, you know, what he was doing, the actual work part. I think that plays a huge role. And I think, again, because you had that experience of working with old ladies, you know, as a medical assistant and working in offices where you're talking to patients and you had that bedside manner. And I think not everybody has that. I think that's something that a lot of people are losing in just in, in life in general, but I feel like in the medical profession for sure. So I think that's huge. What was residency like? And like, what was the process of becoming? So once you graduate your four years, what happens now to become an anesthesiologist? So at the end of your medical school years, you're going to go into something that's called the match program, which you pick your specialty residency, and then you look at the various programs, you apply to the ones you're interested in, you hope that you get invited for invitation for interview, you go on the interviews, and then at the end of it, you rank those programs from most, your top choice down to your last choice. And you it gets submitted into a big computer system and the programs are doing the same thing. So they're ranking all their candidates that they interviewed from top to bottom, There's an algorithm in the match program that matches you up at that point. So once you submit your list, that's it. You don't have any control. You get matched. And on match day, at the exact same time, every student finds opens an envelope and finds out where they've matched. Hopefully they did match. It is possible to not match. If on your list, everywhere that you list doesn't rank you very high, it is possible to not match, which is... uh, pretty stressful situation to come into. So I I went to match day. I had ranked, um, I wanted to go to a big program and I wanted to see everything. I wanted to be challenged by everything with the thought that once I got out, that would give me the most tools to, to encounter, you know, whatever I encountered to handle. So I, I ranked, um, Johns Hopkins number one, and that's where I ended up matching. Um, and residency is hard. It's, it's a lot of act, time at the hospital. It's a lot of, it's, it's actually fairly physical. The staying up and the, the response to the stress is, is pretty physical. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of people that residency is worse than med school, which is, I think, I don't know. I talk about this a lot. I kind of wish that our experience was a lot more like medical school in the sense that one to two years, like I think our last year, third year could be rotation similar to how you guys have to try every major specialty to know what you want to do because you could go through years of law school and literally go in blind and I think that's such a disservice and then I like that you guys have to then do more training to actually be in your specialty and like learn from doctors who are already doing that like in other countries that's how it is in Canada and the United Kingdom they have to train under someone 
that's like part of their law school experience. It's their third and fourth year sometimes, depending on the country. And I'm like, I wish we did that more. And like, but because of that being that hands-on experience, the staying up late, not really having a life outside of a hospital for the first few years, like it's an adjustment. And I feel like that is what I've heard is harder about the medical route than the actual medical school program. Because yeah, I've heard it's actually fun for a lot of people in medical school, minus like the steps, like the exams. And like studying all the time, but like actually like being hands-on, I think they enjoy more. And then it comes to residence, that's a whole nother ballgame. There are now regulations about how much you can work. The work weeks are somewhat limited, but it's still a lot of hours. I mean, 80 hour work week is still a lot. And and being on call and at the hospital for 24 hours officially, and then you 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 really you still have to stay and finish up. You can't leave, like you can't leave your patients labs un, unaddressed like there's always details that you still have to like follow up on and and finish up so frequently you're there for you know 30 36 that it, it can get long but it's worth it to you know you learn a lot during those years incredible yeah, yeah. how many years is it for residency is it four or five four the first year is an internship year which you do in something other than anesthesia. Usually there's a couple variations in the track, but I did this variation, which is your first year is a prelim year, which I did in internal medicine because I wanted to get like a, a really strong background in, you know, internal medicine, as far as what kinds of chronic conditions patients will be coming in, you know, with that I'll have to deal with. Um, you could do a surgical prelim intern year. You could do, um, there's a few options but I did internal medicine and then three years of focused anesthesia. Nice. Yeah. I think, yeah, we talked about this when we went to coffee, we talked to how important the physiology and like the internal aspect of anesthesia and knowing how the medicine is affecting where and which, you know, knowing the, the person's like internal, like stuff, knowing which medicine to use and how much and all that stuff. And like all of that being more the internal aspects, I think it's really interesting. And my primary care physician is an internal medicine, like that's his specialty in geriatrics. And he's honestly one of the best doctors I've ever encountered. And I say that not having encountered many doctors in my life, because my family is the type of like, you're not going to the hospital unless you're dying. But like, from what I've heard from so many horror stories of other people, and just like what we hear in the media and everything, like, I have a really good one. I think that focus in internal medicine is really, really important and definitely shows. Um, but when did Pilates become like an important part of your life? Because now you own a Pilates studio in addition to being a doctor. So when did that kind of happen? So I, um, was a Pilates client for years. I, I started working out when I was, when I turned 39, I decided time to take my own health seriously, time to kind of focus on my body. My kids were a little bit older. They were, um, in school at that point. So I wasn't feeling as guilty taking an hour a day to, to work out. And, you know, instead of just rushing straight home from work and, and spending time with them. Um, and so at age 39, that's when I started working out with Jet Set. I loved it so much, but I was terrible. Like I was the worst at the beginning. The The instructor took me aside after my first class and she's like, you know, I think maybe you need to consider doing private lessons until you can figure this out a little better. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no that's okay. I'm going to keep taking class. Have you, had you ever done any working out or anything at all? Like, were you, did you do sports growing up or anything? Like, what was your background going into that first class? Um, sports, I was a runner. So in, in middle school and high school, I ran track and cross country. Um, and then in college, I didn't do any formal sports, but I did work out. I, I was a little... Um, this, so keep in mind, this is in the nineties, but I was obsessed with step aerobics in college. So I would, you would find me in like every step aerobics class that, that UM had to offer. But then once I finished college, I was kind of at a, I, I do better with, with groups or, or moral support or, or workout buddies. Once I was sort of on my own and not going with my college roommate or not working out with a team, I kind of drifted off from it and, and, and I didn't work out. So for almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. I definitely need a group environment. Like I'm not really gonna go by myself 
Um, I like going to a class and having a teacher and someone watching you and checking in on you and, you know, showing you what to do. I, if like, you just go to tell me to go to a gym, I'm going to be like, Hey, what do I do? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I can totally relate to that. Yeah. That, that's a big, like jump though. 20 years of not really doing any exercise. Were you walking a lot at least, or were you still active besides being on your feet in the hospital all day? Cause obviously that's very grueling and physically active, but you know, what was that? Like, what was your health and wellness routine in those, you know, in between years, especially as a mom? Yeah. I mean, just, just the normal day-to-day activities. I wouldn't call myself a couch potato. I, I rarely, um, watch TV. I do read a lot, but, but I, I'm always up doing things. I have projects that I'm always working on in the kitchen or in the, you know, wherever, just doing stuff. Nothing, nothing specific though. I never did any, like this was before, I mean, I know people I'm sure went on walks, but it wasn't during the era, like post COVID people really like got into the going on walks thing. And with the Apple watches, counting your steps thing that this is before that time. So it was just random sporadic kind of stuff. What made you decide to be like, I'm going to start Pilates. So my friend Tamara is the, she's the one that started that brand of Jet Set. She's the brand president and the founder. Um, and we were friends already. Our kids are the same age and we happen to live in the same uh, building in South Beach. So I had heard her talking about this new studio she was opening and I was definitely intimidated because word of mouth was that it was a hard workout. And so it took me a couple of years to get up the the nerve to, to get in there. Um, but that's why I chose it because of Tamara. Yes. No, it is. It's tough. I've taken Pilates a couple of times before, but Jet Set is definitely the hardest I've ever taken. But for me, like, I'm kind of like you, like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in and I'm really going to push myself. And I like feeling the bird and the workout. Like I like yoga for a more like relaxed stretch, like, you know, mindset like thing. And then I like having Pilates, even though it's low intensity, it's high impact. And I like that combination of the two. So I, I I totally understand why you you were like no we're just gonna go all in. When did owning a studio kind of become something that you thought of? Like, did you always think like how long were you in in it and like loving it before you're like I'm gonna own a studio? So I did it pretty pretty. I had a like I said I love to have a buddy. So at the time that I first started, I had another friend who also lived in the building, and we would text each other every day and be like I just signed up for class. And then the other one would be like, okay, me too. And we would meet in the lobby and walk over together. So she and I did that probably four or five times a week for about three years. And then we got distracted with our lives and, and I kind of got away from it and started running again for a little bit. And then she passed away. Um, she had a congenital heart condition. And so she passed away unexpectedly. And I, you know, that's a hard thing to come to terms with when you're a young person and your friend passed away. And talking to other people, we kind of got into a conversation of like appreciating life and, you know, appreciating the moments that we're here and not letting it just go by. And we, uh, one of them asked me, what is something you would bring back into your life if you could, that you really enjoyed and you think, you know, it should be in your life. And I said, you know what, I'd really like to get back into Pilates. So at that point I went back and at I became like a seven day a week client and that continued for a couple of years that I was just there every single day. And Tamara put out with the franchisor, they put out, it was about two years ago now, I think advertisements, they were going to start franchising. It hadn't been a franchise. It had just been owned by Tamara and a partner. Um, and she'd grown it to four. And then at that point, in order to level up, she decided to go franchise route. So I had seen the ads and I was like, wow, that's super cool. Like people are going to have their own jet sets. Like imagine this place they go to every day. It's my place. Like that seems like something I, that that's like super appealing to me. I was picturing, you know, cheers when you walk in and they're like, Norm, I was picturing going to the studio and everybody knows your name. Um, but I, but I, to be honest, didn't take it seriously per se. I, you know, wasn't something that I knew that I could do. I didn't have a a roadmap for how would I go about financing it or what it would even look like to own a business. So I I just kind of kind of casually reached out to her and I said, you know, 
That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm kind of interested, but maybe as just like a silent financial partner um, with somebody who wanted to be an on-site operator. And so they looked at that for a while. Um, and we kind of ran through a few potential matches. But as I got to know Jed said the franchise and worked with their team, I really understood that I didn't necessarily need a partner because the franchisor is really your part. I mean, they're very supportive and they have everything is set up and organized and the questions are answered like already, you know, you're not reinventing a wheel. So I came to the realization that I just needed a really good general manager to be my partner. Um, And once I, once that realization clicked in, then it became real for me. And at that point, things moved a lot faster. Yeah. Monine is great. It's funny that you were like, you wanted it to be like cheers. Cause the first time I ever walked in there, she was like, Kayla. And I was like, I mean, I've been emailing you for months, but I did not expect you to be so excited to see me. <laughs> I was like, Oh, hello. Like, and Alex was there too. And like, I had followed Alex on Instagram for months and I had never met her. She was there and she's like, hi. And I was like, wait, this is like weird, but that's like why I think like Jet Set is so appealing to people. And like, I ran into one of my friends, Melissa, who I didn't even know she goes to Jet Set. Um, like she was leaving the 7.30 class. I was walking into the 8.30 and I was like, oh, like, this is like funny. Like, this is like, I already know people here and I've never even stepped foot in this place. So I think when you find your people like that and like you, like you already knew Tamara, like from prior just like randomly like it just like all clicked into place and you said it started moving quicker what has it been like being I mean you said like being the franchisee like you have that support but how do you like navigate being a client of the business and also owning it part being a part owner and helping run it and also like your day job of being a doctor yeah so it's a lot of hats to wear for sure I think of my days as like patchworks and, and no two days are really the same. Um, I just know that I need to hit certain things throughout the day. And, and it all just had, kind of just it weaves itself together. Um, you know, my anesthesia job, I'm, I am more supervisory. So if I need to take a phone call in my office, I can take a phone call in my office. Um, so the, those things became like pretty streamlined and easy to handle. And then my on-site with the business, um, I mean, I want to go there anyway, because I go there to work out. So I just make it so that I either get there a little bit early so I can greet people as they're coming in and greet the outgoing class, or I stay a little late so I can say hi to everybody. And then Monine and I are in constant communication throughout uh, the day. You know, she's, we're sending each other like ideas that we have or, or solutions to problems or problems that need solutions. Um so we're in continuous contact throughout the day. I mean, modern technology makes a lot of this possible where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, even getting off the ground with meeting, you know, the franchisor and all the things you would have to do in person are now so much easier to make happen on the fly. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I say that having lived the majority of my life in the technology age, I was born before technology. Their computers were a thing, but they were not mainstream and not everyone had cell phones yet. As a kid that started to happen. So like I get, I kind of got to see the tail end and like I can, I see both sides. I cannot imagine. Like I, 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 I've heard it a lot from like my like law professors that I'm still friends with. Like they were in the generation that still have to do research from like physical textbooks and like or like physical like books like in a library like now it's like all electronic we have Westlaw we have Lexus like you know and I'm like I could not I would not have survived law school if it wasn't in the digital age so I I give you guys props to like people who started businesses and scaled them the way that they have like you know all the big like name brands that have been around for 50 plus years like it's impressive so I can totally understand but yeah I think I like your Patrick kind of analogy of like everything just works out. Like if it's meant to be in your life, I think it truly does work out. And I think though, you have to have like a common thread. Like you have to know that why you have to have a purpose and having that be the thread through everything you do. And if it doesn't really fit in that purpose, then it, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to maintain. And that's when you like kind of have to decide like, 
do I find a way to fit it into the patchwork or is it just like, no, it's just not really like going to be something that I continue to pursue. Um, so I like that analogy a lot, but I want to touch on motherhood as a physician. Cause I keep seeing, I think I'm in the age where a lot of people are starting to think of having kids or having kids. And I have a lot of friends who are younger physicians and they are trying to get pregnant and they're realizing it's really, there's like a one in third, like one in three chances that like, you're going to struggle if you're a mom and a doctor for some reason. And I'm like, interesting. Like I'm on in the legal route, like they don't really like, it's kind of look not looked down upon. I mean, some places it still is of like wanting to put motherhood over partner. So I'm interested to see it like that kind of show up in a different way in the medical fields. And I'm curious like what your experience was being a mom and a physician. Yeah. So I got pregnant my last year of residency, pretty much like right after I committed to doing a year of fellowship. So I, I decided at the end of residency, um, I was like, you know what, let me just make myself as well-trained as I possibly can to my best of my abilities. So I decided to do a cardiothoracic fellowship, which means you're specializing in like open heart surgery, heart transplant, lung transplant, big aneurysms, essentially like the biggest cases or some of the biggest cases that can be done. I, I, in my mind, I thought if I could handle that stuff, then, you know, I can handle anything. So I had committed to doing the fellowship and then found out I was pregnant. Um, that timing ended up with me essentially being pregnant the last little bit of my fourth year of residency, but the majority of my pregnancy was during my fellowship. Um, I remember I was probably eight and a half months pregnant over Labor Day weekend, doing a double lung transplant, like in the middle of the night. And I remember just being like, oh my God, I'm like, this is crazy. And, you know, friends that went through pregnancy. But the thing is, you it's it's actually kind of a blessing to be busy when you're when you're pregnant anyway, because you can't, your mind can't spin into like making up things that to worry about that maybe even, you know, true concerns. You Every little ache and pain doesn't really register in your mind. Like you're kind of just trying to stay, stay awake and stay alive. But um, it was difficult though once she was born because then I had a newborn that I had to at some point leave and go back to, to fellowship. So I went back both times with both of my kids at 11 weeks. And those were probably two of the worst days of my life. Like just... Because you you have a, a being with you the whole nine months of pregnancy, you bonding with them during that time, and then they're born. And I like never put my babies down. Like I just carried them like everywhere and just had them like right next to me all the time. And that that was a, a pretty abrupt transition to go from that to now you're in a sterile hospital environment without your baby. And that, yeah. that was very hard. Yeah. My mom went back to work. So I was born in November and she was back to work like after new year's when the office reopened pretty much. So like maybe like, yeah, like eight, 11 weeks max. Like she, and then same with my brother. I remember he's born in June in September. We were in the Dominican Republic. Like she was like, we're just going, um, I'm not giving up my life for my kids. They're coming along with me. Um, which is the type of parent I want to be. And I agree. I think you can't, you have to be busy. So you, your, your body and your brain's distracted and you're not focusing on like the doomsday scenarios. Like there's too much, especially even now, like more so than when you were pregnant and when my mom was pregnant, like there's just so much noise and so many mom shamers and like, do this, don't do this. You're going to ruin the kid, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if I'm busy working, like I ain't got time for that. Um, but how old were you? And were you planning to have kids while you were still in residency or like what was that ever a like you know did you always want to be a mom you're like no this I'm gonna finish this and then I'm gonna have kids and I'm gonna get married and I'm gonna do this or like how did that all kind of happen for you I feel like that's like the biggest concern for a lot of women going into these careers that do take a lot more time to get into it's a double whammy because most of those people have been planners their whole life and so they then they want to have the now they've they've strategized their career and now they want to strategize their family and that that can be a life can have other decisions for you than than what you create on that strategy plan 
And I, I was not planning necessarily to be pregnant during residency, but I wasn't like not trying, I wasn't preventing it. So I, I kind of had in the back of my head that a false thought that I would have trouble getting pregnant for whatever reason. I don't know why I would think that, but I kind of had that in my head a little. And so when it happened right away, uh, I was caught off guard, but, but then, you know, you wrap your, your, you realize what a blessing it is and, and it becomes your reality and you're just so happy. Yeah. Did you think it was going to be difficult because other people in the profession had had difficulties or like something in like your makeup or something like it's, it's funny because I think I'm going to have a difficult time with it. Um, and we've talked about this offline and I won't get into it here, but like, I, I generally do think I'm going to have a difficult time. I mean, I might be surprised. I'm not, I'm, I'm doing everything in my power to prevent it at this point in my life, but I know come two, three years from now, that will be different. So I'm curious to see how that changes, but was it for you, like, because of other people or like, why do you think that belief was there? It was other people. I, there was nothing in my own personal medical history that, that would have made me think that, but you do see a lot of, especially, um, you, you seem to see a lot with, even within anesthesia. And I don't know if it's because of exposure, we're constantly exposed to the gas. Um, stress doesn't help either. Um, they say anesthesia is 99% boredom and 1% pure panic. So those cortisol spikes probably don't help either. Um, but yeah, I was 32. There was no reason for me necessarily to think I would have trouble. Um, and I didn't. <laughs> it was yeah. I mean, that's good. That's that's what you want, that's what you hope for. And I I hope that the same thing, like I I it just happens and it works out, but you never know. Um, but that's good. I'm just curious about that, like, because I keep seeing that a lot. Also, I think because a lot of times, particularly for physicians you are a little older because you, they tend to want to plan for it when they're in their last year of medical school or last year of residency, not the, that intermix between the two, like that tends, I think probably is like the hardest transition. So, you know, you tend to be in your later twenties, early thirties at that point, depending on when you started. And, you know, we all know what people say about one, being an older mom and two, like the, the medical realities of being an older mom at the same time so I think that plays a lot to do with it as well but how do you navigate so like you have all these hats like you said you are a doctor you're a mom you're a wife you own a business like how do you make time for yourself and like what what's like an average like week in your life look like well you know what the thing is that I just really enjoy and I I I feel like I'm on an adventure all the time and I, I just feel like, okay, let's hop in the car because now we're going to run over here and do this. And I'm always like, I try to be my own best like ally to support myself through it all. I'm like, okay, this is like, how fun are we? Like, we get to go do this and be like super in charge over at the medical center. And then we get to go over here and like work out and have a great workout. And then, then we're going to go home and like plan a cool dinner to cook with my son who likes to cook. So like, I try to view it as like, kind of one big fun adventure that like nobody else really gets to take that exact same ride as I do. And I try to like enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's a really good outlook. And one, I, I think with so much going on all the time in the world and like in life, just that we kind of forget that. But I really like that how you said like, you're excited to, it's like the, I don't have to, I get to mentality. It's like, I get to go to work every day and like help people. And I get to go work out and like, sweat it out and like take an hour for me and I get to cook with my kids and like hang out with them and see what their days are like and that's something that I think were you always like that happy not happy-go-lucky but like more like upbeat positive person like that or is that like a learned thing as you've gotten older because for me it's definitely a learned thing and it's something I want to be better about yeah it's I would say it's it's probably a learned thing and it's a little bit for me it came at the same time that I became comfortable kind of in my own skin and I became comfortable being like alone doing things and kind of also realized like I might like I kind of mentioned I'm you we all have to be our own biggest advocate 
I, a couple of years ago, I was thinking like, gosh, I wish I could go back in time to that moment in medical beginning of medical school when I was so nervous and I, and I didn't know what to expect. And I, you know, wasn't sure how it was going to be or who would be friends with me or if I could pass embryology and just be like, it's going to be okay. You know, you're, 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 you're smart, you're friendly, you're, you're fun. Like, don't even worry about it. Just like, enjoy it. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe I can't go back in time and do that for myself, but I can do it concurrently with myself, with whatever's happening now. And it that ever like that was like a great realization to to be supportive to myself and not to do like negative talk or critical talk. Yeah, that's huge. And like something that I'm still working on now. Um, but yeah, like there's no point in like, you know, they say, yeah, hindsight's 2020, but you can't go back and change it. And everything that happened, like allowed you to be exactly where you are right now. And it it had to happen. Like you wouldn't be who you are now if that hadn't happened. So don't go dwell on it, but like learn from it. And like, what can you do differently moving forward and like take the good with the bad and just like my, so my brother is teaching me golf. And so it's like, that'll work forward play. Like it wasn't the best shot, but like you got, you move forward, like just keep going. Um, and I'm a Sagittarius. So I like, I like to say like, you know, like in order to make an arrow go forward where the archer like you have to literally physically pull it back for it to spring forward and so it's kind of that same mentality but how old were you when you you had that like thought process and you're like no I'm going to change how this how I see things it was probably about three or four years ago so I'm 47 now so early 40s yeah damn like I think I feel like it's so much harder nowadays like I I, I keep meeting a lot of women who are in their late 30s early 40s and like they're starting they're they're talking a lot more openly about this like that that realization and that and that coming into their own and like oh I like who I am I'm comfortable in my own skin I trust myself and I think a lot of it is the messaging that women get like from when we're kids and when we're little kids but I I love that I mean I still see it a lot with like the younger generations like my cousins for sure but I like that like my generation, like in our like mid to late twenties, we're, we're really trying so hard to do it now before we're moms. And like before all of the life stuff starts to really happen for us, like marriage and kids and like work gets busy and all of that so that we can show up our best selves. And I feel like your generation did it while you were doing all of those things already, which is 10 times harder. But for anyone who's kind of like in my age group, who is, who's going through that that realization for themselves like I did a couple years ago as well um any advice for them I would say you know really you have to remember that nobody's gonna be your supporter if you're not your supporter like yeah it's with you and it may be that you don't love a decision that you made but you don't you can learn from that decision without being harsh with yourself yeah I think that's a good one I tend to be a little bit hard on myself at times I think we're we tend to be our own worst critic. Right. And like, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I like say like nothing anybody says to me is going to hurt my feelings more than what I've already said to myself or what my Latin mom has said to me growing up, oh, um, which is like something I don't want to do when I'm long. Like I'm, I'm conscious. I'm like, damn, I, she should not have said that. And like, I should not say that to myself. Um, and it's like learning. So I think that's a good point. Like you can't, like, you can't, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated, kind of, you have to treat yourself that way first before you can be that to other people. I think that's huge for anyone who wants to go into the medical fields. They're, you know, end of college or maybe one or two years out and like, no, like I want to go be a doctor. What is your advice for them? I would say if they haven't done it, get some experience clinically, either as a volunteer, you can work as, um, like I did as a medical assistant, a nursing assistant, you can do even administrative work in an office, just part-time, a couple hours a week, and really get a sense of, you know, what is the what is the environment? What are the personalities that you're going to be around if you go into that field? And just see if that's something that feels good to you, or if it doesn't feel, you know, that it's your... I wholeheartedly agree. I think I always tell that I'm like, if you want to go to whatever you want to do, like talk to people who have done it before you a lot, a couple of different people, like different age groups, different like locations, cities, like cost, like settings, like whether it's like big or small or whatever. And like, actually like 
now the second step is like, do it, like actually be in it and realize like, can I see myself here in 20 years? Like, is this something that I would want to spend the rest of my life doing? And if it's not, then kind of reevaluate why you're doing it. So I think that's a great point. But this has been so great, Darcy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everybody find you? Shout out you and Jet Set. So I'm uh, Darcy Towsley on Instagram. And then my Jet Set is Jet Set Pilates downtown Miami. Yeah, I'm, I will most likely be there if not tomorrow, Friday morning. So I will hopefully see you there. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. <music>